hope you've enjoyed worship this morning. I have. Uh, it's exciting to uh, be together and to just uh, worship God and His goodness. We've got a lot of visitors with us this morning. So glad that you're here. As has already been mentioned, you could have been somewhere else, but you're here, and we think that's pretty awesome. So uh, thanks for bringing your awesomeness to us today, right? Everybody else, right? Come on now. I said they're awesome. Come on. Show them. Wow. Okay, well, I'm happy that you're here, visitors. I'm really happy that you're here. Uh, everybody else, you know, so-so. But uh, we, are, we are glad you're here. Um, we are continuing along in our series, The Cross and the Empty Tomb. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, just want to make mention of what uh, Tim announced earlier. I uh, want to remind all of our uh, young families or families that might have young children that there is a meeting for you on Wednesday night is to plan to get some stuff going uh, for our kids. This is also for young adults that don't have children. So this meeting is for, for that age group. It'll be at my house on Wednesday from 6 to 8. We'll meet together to eat. Then at 7, we'll bring all the children over here for their classes, and then we will, uh, we will get into the meeting part of that, and then we'll get the kids back over to my house. So uh, that is this Wednesday. If you are planning to attend that, please let me or Bethany know. Uh, today, preferably but by Tuesday at the latest. Uh, and if you can be there, please be there. That's, this, is a, this is a really important meeting, uh, and uh, your input is greatly needed for where we want to go as, uh, as the, the future of this church. Because our children are, you know, they're, they're rapidly growing up before us, right? And we want to make sure we provide something for them, right? That's quality. So if that is you, be there. But also we need our young adults there as well because we need, we need help. We need everybody's help for that. So that is this Tuesday, and I think, uh, I think that's going to be a good time together. Well, anyway, we are in uh, our series, The Cross and, uh, and the Empty Tomb. And to catch anybody up, this is a series that every few years we like to come back to as a reminder and as a refresher for why it is we do the things that we do. Why do we go to church? Why do we take communion? You know, we just passed the plate that had the, the bread. We just passed the plate or the, the trays that had the juice. You know, why do we do that? There's a significant reason for that. It's not just because we go to church and that's what you do at church. You know, why do you pass the plate and put, put money into it? It's not just because, you know, we've got to pay for things. You know, there's, there's significant reasons why we, we do these things. And so that's what we're doing over these few weeks is just talking about those things. And so maybe if you're like me, you probably had some notions about why churches do certain things. And then once you get to thinking about it a little deeper, you might realize, wait a minute, you know what? I didn't fully understand that. And that was me for a long time. I thought I knew why churches did things. And then as I got to thinking about it and got to studying a little more, I realized, well, wait a minute, there's more to this than just that's just what you do at church. You know, there are some deep and, and, and biblical and theological reasons why we do the things that we do. And so this is a refresher to us who have, who have just done these things for years and years and years. Or maybe it, it adds to your toolbox of knowledge. So that when you interact with somebody or you invite someone to church and they say, hey, what's your church about? Okay? And they want to know. Like recently I had a conversation 
with somebody who wanted to know why we sing so much. You know, and of course, to me, I'm just like, well, that's what you do at church. You sing. But, you know, they were legitimately asking, there's a lot of singing. What's the reason for that? And so it led to a conversation about worship and, and why, we, why we do this and why we sing together. So this is, these, these messages are designed to help give us more knowledge, more information as you interact with people on your jobs, in your neighborhoods, at your schools, wherever it might be, that might want to know a little bit more about who we are and why it is we do the things we do. So last week, last week we began talking about why we go to church. You know, why do we do that? We listed a whole slew of reasons why somebody might do that. Because that's what they've always done. Their family went. They were forced, coerced, stuffed in a vehicle, whatever reason. But, yeah, like me, I was, if you weren't here, I was stuffed in a vehicle one time and forced to come to church. And I was coated in mud but still went to church. You know? And whatever reason it is that got us here, you know, I don't really care about that. But now that we're here, let's see if we can figure out if there's some deeper significance, some deeper meaning for why we are here and for why we we gather together. Um, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, when I was about eight years old, we got a new go-kart. And by new, I mean new to us. It was not new at all. It probably was not very sound. But to us, it was new. And it had this nice rusty blue paint job on it. And it was beautiful. And there was another family at our church that had also recently purchased a go-kart. And we decided that we wanted to get together and ride these, but we didn't know where to do that because we're living in suburbia. There's just not a lot of places to ride go-karts. But our church was pretty large, and it had this driveway that started way up high and went way down and wrapped around the building and made this big loop. And it had this massive parking lot where you could just circle. And so we did this for hours and hours and hours and hours, okay? And so this is what we did. Well, finally, it got to the end of the day, and it's time to wrap it up, and I see my dad kind of giving me the, the stop sign, and I don't know if, if, if what happened, if my brain wasn't working right or I was tired from the end of the day, but we hit a parking block, my brother and I did, and we launched through the air on the rusty blue go-kart and crashed into the church building. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that you can laugh at my pain. But we crashed into the church building. And it was like, uh, you know, it was, it was the, uh, it had this, uh, it was an aluminum building, this part of it that we hit. And so there is, to this day, a dent about this wide and about that tall still on that building. And only a few people know why it's there. You are now bearers of that secret, so keep it. Don't tell anybody. But it is still there. And every now and then, like every decade, I get to go and pass by there, and I always look for that dent just to make sure that was there. But I know I made my mark on that church. I left a mark there on that church. You know, you hear people say that. Well, that was just a pillar of the church. I was a denter of the church. That was a new building, too, when that happened, a couple of years old. But I remember thinking, you know, as an, as an eight-year-old, 
I've destroyed the church. I've hurt the church. You know, imagine thinking that as an eight-year-old, okay? You're doing something at church that you really should not be doing, like flying a go-kart through the air, and you crash it into the building, okay? That's probably not really looked upon as just really great. But this is what I did, and I'm an eight-year-old thinking I have hurt the church. I have destroyed the church. And, you know, for a lot of people... They sort of have that same understanding about what the church is. That the church is the facility. That it's the building. That it's the place. It's the location. But, see, I, as I grew and as I began to understand more and more and more, I realized that there was more to it. That it wasn't the building. It wasn't the, lo- the location. It wasn't something that we went to. It was something that we are a part of. But I think it's important for us to discuss those things and to talk about why they are. And so last week, we began to talk about that. We began to talk about why we go to church. And if you'll remember, at the front end of that message, I said, let's talk about what the church is. And we spent maybe five minutes talking about that. And I told you that I was going to come back to more of that this week because I wanted to really unpack this so we can truly understand what the church is, and why we go to church. And of course, as we've said throughout all of these messages, the reasons why we do these things are because of the cross and the empty tomb, right? The reason that we go to church, the reason we commune, the reason that we give our money, the reason we sing and attend worship and offer forgiveness and all of those things is ultimately because Jesus took all of our sins and went to a cross, was buried, and then arose, leaving behind an empty tomb, leaving the death clothes and breaking the the bonds of sin and death that, that held us. And so that's the reason why we do all of these things. And so now what we're doing is as we talk about these different things, we're now nuancing that a little bit more so just to get where we were last week let's let's recap just a little bit as we talk about what the church is matthew 16 15 and 16 all the words in yellow i want you to read and today we're going to do fun with languages okay you ready so we're going to be speaking some german by the time it is over with yes who's excited about the german you know we got anybody who speaks fluent german in here so you don't know if i say it wrong or right good very good as far as you know i'm the expert All right, Matthew 16, 15 and 16 says this. This is Jesus talking. He's walking around with his apostles. He has just asked them, you know, who do people say that I am? Okay, and they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Isaiah or Jeremiah or another prophet. And you can just sort of see Jesus saying, okay, all right, that's that's fine. That's good. But you. Who do you say that I am? Now keep in mind, this is the 12, the apostles that were chosen, that walked around with Jesus every day, that were with him as he performed his ministry, as he taught in the synagogue, as he healed people. Okay, And so he turns to them at some point in his ministry, he says, okay, that's fine, and that's good, I'm glad glad the, the crowds understand this, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, 
You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Okay? So here we have Jesus speaking to Peter. Now then, as we said last week, Andy Stanley in his book Deep and Wide says that every time that we gather as a body of believers, we are a present-day fulfillment of the words of Jesus that he spoke 2,000 years ago. Okay, and so we can celebrate that, that the gathering here today is a present-day fulfilling of the words of Jesus. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's pretty powerful to think of that, isn't it? That what we do, what we have done this morning, as we've prayed, as we've read from the Word, as we have uh, spent time uh, taking the, the bread and the juice, what we have done is fulfilled the words of Jesus. Now then, Peter's declaration, and his declaration is, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter's declaration became the common ground and a compass for everything that was to follow. But something else of extraordinary significance was communicated during that exchange, something that our English Bible translations miss, and it is the meaning of the term translated church. So let's get into our Greek. We talked about this word last week, ekklesia. Say that with me. Ecclesia, very good. Let's uh, put, a, put a good Greek accent on it. Go ahead. One, two, three. Ecclesia. Yes, very good. The Ecclesia. The Ecclesia is a gathering of people called out for a specific purpose and assembly. Right, okay. So that's what it means. When you read that in the text, that's what should come to mind, okay? That it is a gathering, it is a group of people, it's a community. Ecclesia never referred to a specific place, only a specific gathering, okay? So it's never location-based. That's what it was, okay? So it should read like this. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my gathering, my assembly, my ecclesia. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Okay? Doesn't that make sense? All right, now then, watch this. When Jesus used the term ecclesia, his disciples understood him to say that I'm going to build my own assembly of people. And the foundation for this new assembly is me. That's what he's saying. Because of what I'm going to do, because I'm going to go to the cross, he doesn't say this, but we, we, looking back, we know what he's saying. Because he would go to the cross, because he would bear all the sins of all mankind, because he would be buried in a tomb, and because he would arise from the tomb, leaving that tomb empty. You know, that's the power of all of Christianity right there. Okay, it all comes back to the cross and the empty tomb. And so when Jesus uses this term, uh, ecclesia, his disciples would understand what he meant. So if the Greek word means gathering, why don't our English Bibles just say gathering? Isn't that a good question? Okay, I don't know. To understand this, we've got to step out of the biblical narrative into our 
more historical or a, or a Roman historical narrative to understand what was going on. If you remember correctly and you sort of know your biblical history and you know your, your world history, you know that the Romans occupied Jerusalem, right? They were the oppressing force, okay? And eventually, in A.D. 70, they're going to get tired of Christians. They're going to get tired of Jews. And so Rome is going to send the army in and is absolutely going to stomp out a rebellion that had been going on for a few years in Jerusalem, okay? And when that happened, persecutions begin to break out, okay? Well, as the years roll on, you have emperors like Nero who have some issues, to say the least. And he begins to torture Christians. Christians are thrown to the lions to defend themselves when they will not renounce their faith. Because for them, Caesar is not Lord. But that's what the Romans believed. Okay? They would say Caesar is Lord because that's what they believed. They believed that Caesar was divinity. But the Christians don't buy into that. They say Jesus is Lord. Okay? So you and I, we say Jesus is Lord. Let's just say that together. Jesus is Lord. Doesn't that make you feel good to say that? Isn't that easy to say that? But in first century Christianity, that was absolutely an illegal declaration that could end in your death if you don't recant. So every time a Christian said, Jesus is Lord, it was a dangerous, politically charged, declarative statement. And so for us, we just say Jesus is Lord, and we sort of, you know, Jesus is Lord, yes. But for them, their life was on the line every time they would make this statement. And so you have emperors like Nero who would put Christians to death. He would even set them up as garden lanterns. lanterns. He would use them as, as torches in his garden. Other emperors like... Uh, uh, Diocletian and Domitian also inflicted widespread persecution of, of all of these Christians. And so to be a believer in Jesus was a very, very, very dangerous thing. You really had to have a lot of faith to be a Christian then, right? Definitely. Okay, being a Christian wasn't for the faint-hearted, okay? It wasn't for the weak-minded. It wasn't for those that, yeah, okay, I'll be a Christian, that sounds good. If you were going to be a Christian, it meant, okay, I'm going to do this even though it might cost me my life. I'm going to be a part of the ecclesia even though this might end really, really badly. Well, so what happened? Well, Shane Claiborne says that in 313 A.D., the Roman Empire was baptized. What that means is that Emperor Constantine suddenly declared that he was a Christian. Okay, he said, I'm a Christian. And so what happens is he legalized Christianity all throughout the Roman Empire. 
And what happens is it began to spread. As they began to believe in Jesus. So the Roman elite said, well, let's start building places where we can worship. Because a lot of times Christians worshiped in homes or maybe on the bank of a river or maybe even in some instances like in a cave. And the Romans who had money said, wait a minute, let's, let's, let's build something. Let's build a, a dedicated house of worship. And so they began to do this. And within a decade, the ecclesia ceased to be a movement And it became a location. You feel the power sort of drain out of it when you think of it that way? Because the church was a movement. Remember, that's what we saw last week from, from Acts. As those thousands of people confessed Jesus and were baptized into his name and became a part of the church and a part of the kingdom of God, you had this community that was Christ-centered that devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which is the teachings of Jesus, to breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And it says that they, you know, they gave whatever they had to anybody who was in need. It was a movement of people. But by the 300s, as Rome names Christianity as the state-sponsored religion, people began building these houses of worship, and all of a sudden, the movement was no longer a movement. It was, it was a location, and that became a problem. The Romans referred to these gathering places as basilicas. German culture, also influenced by Christianity, used the word Kirka. Everybody say that. Kirka. Now then, uh, let's get our inner George Rom going on here. Because remember George. Uh, the first time I read this word, I thought it was kirch because it kind of looks like church. I'm reading about the church. I kind of thought that's what it was. So I went to George and I said, George, I need you to pronounce this word for me in your best German accent. And he went, it's Kirka. A lot of, you know, deep throat stuff. So he says, German culture, also influenced by Christianity, used the word kirka. Yes, very good. I heard that. Somebody's spitting over there. That was really good. Really good. The word used to refer to, and this is the word that was used to refer to any ritual gathering place, whether Christian or pagan. The Germanic term became the most commonly used word to refer to the ecclesia of Jesus and from which we get the word church. You see the problem? The problem is, is that a majority of English translations are a word-for-word -word translation of the Greek, but not in this case. In this case, it's a substitution, and it's not even a good substitution. So right now, I want you to take your Bible, whether you've got a hard copy or an electronic copy, and I want you to look, I want you to look at verse 18, and if anybody has any other word than church, raise your hand. Now, if you do, there is one translation that does, and if it does, you already know what it is. Just hold on to that. 
But look at your Bible right now if you've got it. Anybody have anything besides church? Didn't know you are going to have to do schoolwork this morning. You've got one. Good. I looked at 40 different Bible translations preparing this message. 40, maybe, maybe a little more than that. Even looked at paraphrases like the message, and all of them, except for one, translates ecclesia as church. Now then, there's one little obscure book that you're aware of, and it's probably the one that you're thinking of, Debbie. Is it the Tree of Life version, okay? This is the version that is translated by Messianic Jews, and it says, I will build my what? My community. That's the only one of, of 40 at least translations that captured what Jesus is trying to say. Everybody else, everybody else misses it. So which one is right? Is it church? Or is it church? You see the difference? We drive by this all the time, and what do we say? That's my... Somebody says, where is your church? And what do you say? You know what I say? I, I said this yesterday. Somebody asked me where, you know, they, in a conversation, they asked me what I did, told them I was a minister. Where is your church? I said, well, it's on 319 going south, you know. And I always say, you know where you turn to go to Brookwood? We're the church that sits in front of Brookwood. There's three churches. We're the one in the middle. If you make it to the church with the flags, you've gone too far. That's what I say. That's my standard kind of here's how you get to our church. We fall into the same trap. And it is so easy to think of this, this as the church that you don't want to crash a goat cart into because you will hurt the church, right? Is that not how we think? But there's more to it, isn't there? It's more than just a, a place. Okay? And so many people, and I've been guilty of this too, so many people look at the kirka, the building, the facility, the whatever you want to call it, the campus, and say, that place is holy. You ever walked into a place, a church building, and thought, man, this place is just holy? You ever thought that? And, I, and we understand what they're saying, but if we really take the time to think about it, it's not the place that's holy. It's what's done in the place that's holy. It's the people that do holy things in the place. Does that make sense? So what we've done this morning is holy. This right here, this right here, not holy. You know what this is? This is a pub table. 
Have you ever, did you know that? That's a pub table. You find it at a bar. That's a pub table. Nothing holy about it. That's a TV. Nothing holy about it. Okay? That's an exit sign. Fire extinguisher. Nothing holy about those things. Okay? Now then, let's really dial this in here. You know the gold-plated trays that we just passed around? Not holy. But what we do here, that is holy. Does that make sense? You see, but when we start thinking of it as this is my church, my church is located on the south side of town going toward Tallahassee. You go to the flag church, you went too far. We're doing the same thing. We're draining the power out of the ecclesia. Okay? Because there's, there's more to it. So it's not church, it's church. It's, yes, it's the people. You see, and when we, when we grasp this, when we grasp that concept, then we can understand why we do outside the walls. Okay? When we say outside the walls, we're not saying we're going outside the walls of the church. The church is going outside the walls of the building. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing. Okay, so the church can go to places like Providence Plaza. The church can go to places like Vashti. You know why? Because it's not a location. It's a movement. It's people. Do you feel the power? Do you feel the difference in that? That's what we get to participate in. Okay, it's a movement. Now then, look at this. You can lock the doors of the kirka or the church, but you cannot lock the doors of the ecclesia, of the gathering of Jesus. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And when we understand that, we realize this is a movement that we get to be a part of, that we get to participate in. It is a movement of Jesus' followers united in the belief that He is the Son of God, joining hands to share the love of Christ with a lost and dying world. So what is the power source? What sparks this movement and gives it its power is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the cross and it's the empty tomb why do we go to church because of what jesus did for us because of the movement that we are a part of because we recognize that we belong to something that is bigger than ourselves that we are an outpost of the kingdom of god and we happen to be located at 5565 U.S. Highway 319 South, Thomasville, Georgia, 31792. The assembly occasionally gathers at that location. 
but the assembly is not held to that location, right? Because we are ecclesia. So are we moving or are we just meeting? Do we believe that we just all we do is meet? Or do we believe that we are part of a movement that is backed by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are we organized around a mission? Are we organized around an antiquated ministry model inherited from previous generations? Are we allocating resources as if Jesus is the hope of the world or are the squeaky wheels of church culture driving our budget? Are we ecclesia or have we settled for kirka? Now those are uncomfortable questions. But those are questions that we absolutely must wrestle with. If we are going to be the body of Christ, if we are going to be a movement then we have to evaluate what we're doing constantly right we have to make sure what we are doing is lining up with ecclesia not kirka that it's about people not about location and while we have a location and it's a great location and it's beautiful and we have a great facility, and we need to be thankful for it, and we need to take care of it because God has entrusted us with it. We recognize that this is just sort of where we get together to do holy things. And so we need to reframe our thought process. Right? When some people ask us where we go to church, it's not the one on... 319, it's, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a part of the church. There's a bunch of us. And we're a part of a movement. These are some of the things that we do, and these are the, some of the things that, that we believe. Jesus said, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, the rock being that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. A building can be overpowered, right? Have we not seen that in recent days? I mean, good grief. An eight-year-old almost took it out with a go-kart. But a movement is different. Which would you rather be a part of? Just the group that meets here? Or do you want to be a part of a movement that is committed to extending the kingdom of God in place that we live sharing our faith sharing our hope 
extending grace and mercy and love to those who need it. Are we going to be people who were broken but redeemed by Jesus that go out and find other broken people who need redemption from Jesus? You see, we get to participate in that. That's the beauty of the the mistranslated word church. The beauty of the assembly, the beauty of the community, the gathering, all of those things is that God, for some reason, lets us help. If you were in charge, would you let us help? Because I don't know that I would. Jesus built his church based on what he did, the cross and the empty tomb. He said, okay. Take care of it. God will help you. But go tell other people about it. Go change lives. I will free you, now you go free others. Because free people, free people, right? We get to be a part of that. Because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. So, as you think about these things, as we are thinking about these things, do you find yourself only thinking about the church when it's time to go to church? Does that make sense? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, the only time we think about church is, oh, well, I know i got to go to church on Wednesday, or I know i got to go to church on Sunday, or i got to make sure i got enough checks in my checkbook because i got to write one to the church. See, because I think if we're thinking of it as a location, it's really easy to sort of think that way. But if we recognize it's not location, that it's part of a movement, then it becomes something that we sort of live into on a daily basis. Does that make sense? becomes a a part of who we are. And so if you, like me, at times have thought, well, i got to go to church, or the church is there and i got to get to go participate to be a part of that church that is located at wherever it happens to be, ask God to give you a new vision of community, of gathering, of assembled people called out for a purpose. Ask God to reframe what that mission is. Is our mission just to perpetuate our campus? Because that's pretty boring, if you ask me. Right? I mean, it is a goal. It is a good goal. But is that the best goal? If it's Kirka, yeah, okay, that's pretty good. But if it's movement, then it's something of much deeper significance. I pray that you will ask God to give you a new vision of that community. Let's pray together.